You're listening to a news story on the audio version of The Taiyi. Thanks for listening. The Taiyi is a nonprofit newsroom that is funded by our audience. So, if you appreciate this article and you'd like to help us do more, head on over to support.thetaiyi.ca and become a Taiyi builder. You choose the amount to give, and you can cancel anytime. Too many nonprofits, too many problems. By Christopher Chung, December 13, 2023. Nonprofits are generally viewed as positive forces in society, or, at the very least, neutral. However, the 22 authors of Situating the Nonprofit Industrial Complex, a new paper in the peer reviewed journal Social Sciences, have documented the ways in which nonprofits in the realms of housing, health, research, and social services are structured in ways that can work against their altruistic aims. The authors, many of whom work and live in the Vancouver area, argue in the report that nonprofits are part of a tangled web of power that makes it hard for them to be held accountable and tackle the social issues they say they're committed to solving. Governments get to shirk responsibility for inequality and decreased social spending by instead funding nonprofits in the community, say the authors. And as nonprofits grow, they become focused on generating revenue to maintain operations, weakening their accountability to those they serve. We're talking about nonprofits hiding government austerity, said Tyson Singh Kalsal in an interview with the Thai. He is a PhD candidate in Simon Fraser University's Faculty of Health Sciences and one of many authors who is also employed as a frontline worker in the downtown East Side. We see all this political theater. This paper came to be because so many of us were seeing government announcements and money put into problems that shouldn't be that difficult to solve. A number of major news stories this year highlight the extent of this problem, he said. There was the forensic audit that found that a longtime BC housing CEO directed funds to Atira, led by his spouse, which became the largest non-profit supportive housing operator in the province. Workers and tenants had been raising alarms about problems at the buildings for years. In 2022, the Winters Hotel, operated by Atira's for-profit arm, burned down, killing two tenants. The Thai investigated and reported extensively on the scandals. Then there was the elevator that has been breaking down for over a year at the Portland Hotel, one of 30 buildings run by the Portland Hotel Society. It has resulted in serious health problems for the building's supportive housing tenants. The nonprofit said that the elevator was old and replacement parts were not readily available. Singh Kelsall and other authors questioned why a nonprofit with a manager that earns around $275,000 and executives that make close to that would have a building with a faulty elevator. A nice way to maintain the status quo. The authors frame their arguments around what scholars call the nonprofit industrial complex. The term refers to what the authors say is a problematic, inequitable funding and operational structure that ultimately protects governments, elected officials, and private donors. The nonprofit industrial complex is a nice way to maintain the status quo while feeling like something is being done, said co author Jen McDermott a PhD candidate in interdisciplinary studies at the University of British Columbia. What's unique about Vancouver's context is the clustering of nonprofits in the downtown east side, say the authors, a neighborhood where many residents deal with poverty, housing insecurity, and health issues. 
Some nonprofits in the downtown east side have partnerships and collaborations with the police. Community policing centers, five of which are in and around the neighborhood, are considered nonprofits, for example. In 2021, a Globe and Mail investigation revealed that prominent real estate developer Peter Wall donated $1 million to the Vancouver Police Department's charity foundation, with half of that money intended for community policing centers and the other half to provide resources for officers dealing with people with mental health or addiction issues. The diffusion of responsibility plays out in so many ways, said Singh Kalsal. Governments will point fingers at nonprofits. Nonprofits will point fingers at government. On the street level, we see the same thing, we don't deal with that here, go to this other nonprofit. Ultimately, it fragments care. It's not a relational model. The authors explain their findings with the tie. On the roots of the industrial complex. The mix of public and private power in the delivery of social welfare has a long history in Canada and a hand in colonization, the authors note in the paper. Christian churches and residential schools are one prominent example. They also draw similarities between the nonprofit industrial complex and English poor law legislation. As they write in the report, both produce status and a salary for those in upper-level positions. Both use business structures that underbid each other and subject people living in poverty to surveillance, violence, and control. On the lack of transparency, nonprofits rely on the funding of donors and the governments of the day. However, they aren't obligated to release accounting records, meeting minutes, or annual reports and are not subject to freedom of information policies. If board members misuse funds, preside over harmful practices, or act against the nonprofit's mandate, there aren't many ways for service users to hold them accountable. According to the Societies Act that regulates them, there is one thing that nonprofits must publish what their highest paid employees are making. On the inability to speak up, Oftentimes, nonprofits prioritize the funders rather than the people they purport to support, said McDermott. This makes it especially difficult for nonprofits to criticize governments that hold the purse strings. They don't want to rock the boat, said McDermott. They don't want to bite the hand that feeds. The article's authors cited an amendment earlier this year by Vancouver City Council, currently dominated by the ABC Party. That nonprofits applying for municipal funding need to be respectful. The city pulled funding from one nonprofit, the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, that has criticized the ruling party's policies. The city cited a misuse of funds based on allegations in the media, reasoning that the nonprofit rejected. On April 5, when the city and police cleared the tents of people sleeping rough on Hastings Street, the authors noted, many nonprofits in the neighborhood remained silent or did not take a stance until much later. Instead, it was individual workers and community members who decried the street sweeps and distributed gear for those displaced. It is also difficult for nonprofits to take a public stance on issues considered controversial, such as Palestinian solidarity, that might upset funders, added Singh Kalsal. On big players and bureaucratization. 
The model of non-profit funding in which they are largely supported by funding from governments has resulted in bureaucratization, with complicated results, say the authors. Among the outcomes, more rules, more paperwork and more public servants needed to administer non-profit programs, all of which take resources away from the people most in need of the services provided. Rather than directly offering material support to those who need it, funding for social programs has become an act of negotiation, the authors write. In the downtown east side, it's a hyper-competitive landscape, said Singh Kalsal. It's hard to know how many non-profits there are in the neighborhood today. Back in 2014, the Vancouver Sun counted 260, but that calculation also includes individual shelters and buildings with supportive housing. Amid the competition, the largest non-profits with the most resources have become too big to fail, and they dominate contract negotiations and steer the political direction quite often, said Singh Kelsall. About 60 to 80 percent of non-profit funding in Canada comes from public money. This reliance can result in non-profits adjusting their services to match government priorities, shifting accountability away from the community and to their public funders. We hear about these funding announcements and these big reveals, said co-author Jake Palmore, a registered social worker who also works in the neighborhood. Oftentimes, that translates into top-heavy management, big six-figure salaries for people who aren't doing as much as they could be. Those resources could be used on the front line. It's hard not to become demoralized. On Poverty Pimps The nonprofit industrial complex isn't just being critiqued by voices on the left. Populist voices on the right, in their calls for more law and order, blame nonprofits and activists for profiting from poverty. They've used derogatory terms like poverty pimps, which has been bandied about for years and showed up in a December 2022 Daily Hive column, and the homeless industrial complex, which the same author wrote about in the National Post earlier that year. But the report's authors write that such framing blames people living outside, and those attempting to provide support, for various societal ills that are, in reality, fueled mostly by poverty, growing inequality, a housing crisis, and prohibition. Despite the criticism, the authors point out that right-wing policies often call for less social spending, which ironically is what led to the rise of nonprofits to fill the gap in services. Anti-poverty advocates note that lack of social spending has contributed to widespread food insecurity, which has increased demand for services like food banks. And the report's authors note how large nonprofits can become mired in regulatory processes that ultimately undermine equitable access to the services they are providing. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank, for example, requires new users to book an appointment in advance and bring government picture ID for each person in their household who needs food. There was a plan halted by the pandemic to require proof of low-income status. On the exhaustion of mutual aid. The downtown east side is a place where mutual aid flourishes, considering how few resources there are, said Singh Kalsal. It brings out a lot of care in the people who've become a part of it. However, this means that the workers who go beyond non-profit mandates to care for their clients' unmet needs put in informal and unpaid labor. 
I try my best to be accountable to the people I work alongside, who I sometimes call clients, said Palmer. Other people are accountable to funding amounts. And those are the people who end up getting promoted to high positions in nonprofits, he added. We say this a lot about downtown Eastside nonprofits, people fail upward. Singh Kelsall said that the authors aren't calling for governments to reduce social spending, and that even the investigation of bad apples, like the BC commissioned audit of Atira, doesn't strike at the heart of the issue. Rather, the report is an attempt to examine the power relations behind a system that can slow or interrupt aid to the people and problems that need it. There's a need to take out some of these middlemen, said McDermott, and ensure that resources are redistributed equally and not reinforcing these hierarchies of wealth and power. Thanks for stopping by the Tai today. Anytime you're in the mood to listen to important stories written well, we'll be here. And if you'd like to keep independent media going strong, head over to the Tai.ca and click on the Support Us button to pitch in. Finally, big, big thank you to all of our Tai builders who made this story possible.